Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews. Uh, we'll be looking at chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. But as we come to listen to God's word, let's ask for God's help that we would understand what he says to us. Would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord of all creation. You spoke in the beginning, and all things came to be. You spoke, and your word came to live with us, full of grace and truth. Bless this place where we would now hear your voice. Bless this place where we would hear your story. As we listen, may our ears be tuned to your voice. As the word is spoken, may you speak to us by your spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, come up and join me. Welcome. Yeah, uh, you can kind of spread around over here. There's some spots over here, too. Yeah, there you go. Welcome, everybody. There you go. Make room. Squeeze in. All right, you, you guys know that there are some things that you can pick and choose what you want to have included in it, like hamburgers for example. Some people take their hamburgers with bacon and pepper jack cheese and pickles and fried onions and like a nice Cajun remoulade. Yeah. Other people, they leave off all that stuff. They really just like the meat and the bun and that's it. With burgers, you are totally free to pick and choose the stuff you want and leave off the stuff that you don't want, right? But there are other things where you don't really have a choice. You, you have to take or leave the whole thing. Like this watch, for example. Do you know how a watch works? I don't really know either. But <laughs> inside the watch, yeah, there are gears and sprockets and springs, and each one of those things has a really important role. All those things working together makes the hands of the watch move around the face, keeping time. But if you take away one of the parts inside of this, this watch won't do me any good. So you can't pick and choose what parts you want and what parts you'd rather leave out. If it's gonna do you any good, you have to have the whole thing. And, and that's kind of how we are supposed to think about Jesus in his different roles, 
In what we just read from Hebrews, we hear that Jesus is three different things for us. He's the prophet, he's the priest, and he's the king. The prophet, the priest, and the king. As, as prophet, prophets speak, right? He, Jesus speaks God's words to us about his desire to save us. And he talks about how he accomplished, how he actually achieved that rescue. And we need to listen to everything that Jesus says, not just some parts that we like and leave out the other parts we might not like. But, but it says Jesus is not only the prophet, he's also the priest. A priest is someone who stands between God and us. And, and as our priest, Jesus dealt with our sin, that problem that separated us from God. Jesus dealt with it in, his, in himself by offering himself up on the cross. And we have to trust in him and what he did for us. So Jesus is our prophet. He's also our priest, but it also says that he's our king. It says that he reigns over us. And so we have to serve him and seek his kingdom instead of our own kingdom, right? He's in control. We're not in control. So Jesus is our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. We, we can't divide him up. We can't pick and choose what parts of him we want and what we would rather not have. We, we can't have him as a priest who takes away our sin without also having him as our prophet and as our king. We, we have to either embrace Jesus in all of his fullness, or we have to reject him totally. But if you embrace Jesus and all that he is for us, prophet, priest, and king, then he will do such good to you that you can't even imagine. And we call this good news because in each of those roles, prophet, priest, and king, Jesus is saving us and taking care of us, and leading us into real life. Life as God meant it to be. Do you believe it? All right, guys, thanks. You can go back to your seat. If you're not already done so, you can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. As Sam said, our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And this is part of the series that we began uh, a few weeks ago. You'll remember that when we uh, came to uh, Acts chapter 16 and we, we heard the, the jailer ask Paul, what must I do to be saved? Uh, we uh, decided to take a break from our regular study in the book of Acts and to begin looking at that question in more detail, to be looking at this, this question of salvation. What is salvation? Why do we need it? How do we get it? And so we began by simply asking the question of why we need it. Why do we need a Savior? And we saw that we need a Savior, quite simply, because of sin. We usually feel our need of a Savior. We, we usually feel that there are the, those powers out there that are, are, are greater than us, that are beyond our ability to, to handle, that are against us in so many ways. We, we feel our need of a Savior when we feel the, the miseries of life in this present evil age. But those miseries are merely the poisonous fruit 
of our deeper problem. The root of our problem is sin. As sinners, we are under God's condemnation. As as sinners, we are subject to his holy wrath. And there's nothing that we can do about it. We are guilty and condemned, and we are corrupt, and therefore without hope of reconciling ourselves to God. Seeing this led us to ask if if God has left us to perish in this hopeless condition. We see why we need a Savior, but, but is there a Savior? Is the one we need even available? And the answer, of course, is yes. God has promised a Savior, and he has provided a Savior. He did not leave us to perish in our sin, but on the contrary, he promised to rescue us uh, through the seed of the woman. And he has done so by sending his Son in the form, in the form of a man in, the, in human flesh. Jesus Christ is that Savior. And that's what we saw last week, that, that the Savior that was promised has actually come that all of God's promises have, have, uh, have been fulfilled in him. He is the yes and amen of all that God promised to do. He is the long-promised Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this morning we want to look at Jesus more closely. We want to ask, well, what is it that he did as our Savior? Our catechism asks the question this way, what offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? And as you heard Sam saying to the children, Christ as our Redeemer executes the offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king, both in his state of humiliation and exaltation. Really, that is where I want us to focus this morning. I I want us to, to see Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king, because it is in seeing him as our prophet, priest, and king that we understand the full extent of the salvation that he has accomplished. We see that, that receiving and resting upon Jesus means not only receiving and resting him as our priest, but also as our prophet and our king. And we see all three of these brought together in this text here at the beginning of the letter to the Hebrews. The first thing we see in this text is that Jesus is a prophet, or, or more than that, he is actually the prophet, the, the final climactic prophet, the, the, the prophet to end all prophets. Notice what the author says. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son." That that contrast drives home the the reality that Jesus is not the first prophet. He's he's not the only prophet. God has been speaking through the prophets for a long time, really since the beginning. From the beginning, he has been making himself and his will for our salvation known. From the beginning, he he has been uh, repeating and and reuttering that promise that he made in the garden, that he will put things right. That he will reconcile man to himself. That that he will undo the works of the devil. And when God speaks, it is grace. We need to understand that, that, that God's speaking is a gift. It is not something that we deserve. But it is a gift. It is a, a condescension to our, our need You have to understand that apart from God's revelation, apart from God's speaking, we could know nothing of his plan of salvation. 
As Paul says in Romans chapter 1, we can learn something of God's nature and of his, and of his will and of his power through the creation and through his exercise of, of providence as he, as he rules that creation. But we cannot learn his will for our salvation. In nature, we, we see God's justice and his righteousness and we see our failure to, to, to live up to that standard. But we cannot know that he is a God who delights to forgive unless he tells us so. And so when God speaks, when God spoke long ago through the prophets, it was a profound act of grace. God has made himself known and he has made known his will for our salvation. That is a gift. But the message of the former prophets was always incomplete. It was incomplete because it was promise. It was promise of what God would one day accomplish for his people. It was, it was promise of what was coming. But, but promise without fulfillment is always incomplete. This is why Peter says that the prophets themselves longed to know the one whom they were talking about. They, they longed to see the fulfillment. Abraham himself longed to see Jesus day because they knew that the message that they, that they proclaimed was incomplete. And they longed to see the fulfillment. And so Jesus is first the, the prophet in the sense that he brings the fulfillment of what God has been saying from the very beginning. He is the full and final revelation of God's will for our salvation. In Jesus, we, we learn and, and we hear the full gospel, the full gospel of, of God's plan of salvation, of how God is going to accomplish all that he has promised. First, we, we learn the full measure of God's desire for and his even delight in our salvation. We, we see this in Jesus. We see this because he is the shepherd who seeks the lost in order to save them. He is the, the shepherd who will leave the 99 and go after the one. In Jesus, we see that the Father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. This is the love that God has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. In Jesus, we, we see that, that we have been adopted into his family. In Jesus, we, we see, we, we learn that, that, that God has, has given his son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is, this is the extent of God's love. This is the, the lengths to which he will go to, to reconcile us to himself. And we learn the full benefits of that in Jesus as he, as he speaks to us God's will for our salvation. In him, we, we see... We see that, that we have been justified, that declared righteous through his resurrection from the dead. We, we see that we have been adopted into his, his family as we have been called the brothers of the Savior. We see that we are even now being sanctified, conformed more and more to the image of his glory. In him, we, we see that we can have a full assurance of our salvation because we now have peace with God. In him, we, we see that, that even in the midst of the present and continuing struggles of this age, we can have a joy inexpressible 
Because we know that we are receiving his promise, the salvation of our souls. So in him, we have this vision of the full salvation that is being accomplished for us, of the full glory of the inheritance that is now being kept in heaven for us, even as we are being kept for it. In him, we see that living hope that is ours through his resurrection from the dead. All this we see and, and hear and learn in Jesus Christ as God's grace and truth are revealed in and through him. He is the prophet who reveals to us God's will for our salvation. But more than even this, more than, than even seeing God's plan and, and God's delight in Jesus, we see how this salvation is to be accomplished. We see how it is to be received. Jesus reveals to us that, that, that by faith in him and by faith alone, we will be saved. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. None who call upon him will ever be put to shame. As Paul says, we are saved not by works but by grace through faith. This is what is revealed to us through Jesus Christ. So as our prophet Jesus shows us God's delight in our salvation, he shows us God's provision for our salvation, he shows us God's plan for our salvation, his desire to save, and the, the fullness of the salvation that he provides, and the way that he gives it to us as a gift received by faith. Alone. All of this is what it means to, to, to call Jesus our prophet because all of this is seen fully and finally in him and in him alone. And so if you would know God's gospel, if you would know God's will for your salvation, you must listen to Jesus. You must receive his word as the revelation of God's will for he is our prophet. All other gospels, all other promises are, are man's gospels, are, are man's creations, are man's fictions. For there is only one God and he has, only, he has sent only one Savior and therefore there is only one gospel. And we learn it from Jesus, the prophet. In our day, the exclusivity of Christianity is is considered an, an expression of our arrogance, the, an expression of the thought that, that we are better than everyone else. How can you say there is only one way to God, people ask? How can you think that, that your way is the only right way? Maybe you've heard these objections. Maybe you've, you've felt them from, from coworkers and from, from family and from friends. But I want you to understand that, that, that our gospel, the gospel we proclaim, while it is exclusive, it is not arrogant. The exclusivity of, of Christianity is, is actually rooted in our insufficiency. It is actually rooted in our weakness and in our acknowledgement of that weakness. You see, we believe in an exclusive gospel because we believe that we cannot ascend to God. We believe that, that we cannot find our own way, that we cannot make atonement for our own sins. We believe, as, as we even heard it confessed this morning in the membership vows, that we have no hope except in His sovereign mercy. We believe that the Son come in human flesh is our only hope 
Because he is the only Savior. He is the only name given under heaven by which men must be saved. See, the gospel isn't our way. It isn't, isn't the, the way that we've found to God, and now we're telling everybody else they have to do it the way that we did it. Rather, the gospel is God's gospel. It is God's way. It is the revelation of his will for our salvation. And that means that if you would be saved, you must listen to Jesus. If you will not listen to him, if you will not receive the gospel that he proclaims, you cannot be saved. You cannot imagine your own way to God. You you cannot uh, come up with with a plan that, that God must accept. Jesus himself says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Not because we are better, but precisely because we're not. Precisely because we cannot find our own way, and the only way to God is the way that he has revealed in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Of course, this brings us to our second point. The reason that that Jesus reveals only one way is because Jesus is not only the prophet, but he is also the priest. He is the priest who opens the way of salvation to sinners. We see this in verse 3. Look again at what the author says. He writes, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's one of those phrases that you you need to uh, just sit with for a moment. Jesus Christ is the one who made purification for sins. That is the reason that he came. He, He came to do just this. He came to cleanse us of our Iniquities. Remember what the, the angel said to, to Joseph. He said, you will call your son's name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus himself said the same thing. He said, I came not for the righteous, but for sinners. This, this doesn't mean that there are some who are, who are righteous and, and who have no need of a, of a Savior, but rather he says, the ones I have come to save are ones who are sinners, ones who are in sin, ones who are justly condemned. These are the ones I came to save. Not, I did not come to save those who were worthy, those who, who, who had a right to be excluded from the, the coming wrath of God, but rather I came to save those who were by nature objects of that wrath. I came for sinners. I came, as he says, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, to, to redeem them from the debt that they owe. And that is why John pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We know from the Old Testament that that there were all sorts of of sacrifices offered at the tabernacle and then later at the the temple. There were burnt offerings. There were sin offerings. There were guilt offerings. There were peace offerings and and fellowship offerings. And there were many days on which these offerings were were brought before the Lord. There were the the daily offerings, but there were also uh, special days like the day of Passover or the the day of of atonement. The Old Testament was, was full of sacrifice. It was full of offerings made at the temple of blood spilled before the Lord to to cover over our sins. But the author of Hebrews tells us later in this very letter that those sacrifices were but a shadow of what was truly needed. 
They showed us the, the sacrifice. They showed us the nature of the, the sacrifice that was needed. But, but at the end of the day, the blood of bulls and goats could not really deal with our sin problem. The blood of bulls and goats could not really cleanse us of the defilement of sin. It could not make the purification that we needed. And that is why Jesus came. He came as the Lamb of God who will truly deal with our sins. He came to offer Himself. He is the priest and He is the Lamb. He is the priest who gives Himself as the ransom for many. And His sacrifice was effective. In Him, the record of debt that was against us has been paid in full. In His blood, we have been washed whiter than snow. In him, our guilt has been removed far as the east is for the west, so that Paul can say in his letter to the Romans that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the, the will of God for our salvation that Jesus reveals. He reveals himself as our priest who offers up himself to make purification for sins, once and for all time. That's what this part about the, the sitting is, is all about. He, he sits because his work is complete. He sits because the, the sacrifice was, was perfect, never needing to be repeated. The Old Testament prophets didn't sit down because their work was never done. It, it always needed to be repeated. But Jesus' work is once and for all time, never needing to be supplemented. And so when he offers up himself, he sits down at the right hand of the Father on high. That's why the author of Hebrews says that he is able to save to the uttermost. Because in Him we have a full, perfect salvation. A, a salvation that, that, that uh, sets us free from the anxieties of, of the, the tribulations of this life. It doesn't mean that we don't have to pass through the waters. It doesn't mean that the, that the flames will not burn. But it means that, that as we pass through, we remain untroubled. Though we groan, we groan in hope knowing that, that the powers of this world cannot undo what Christ has already accomplished in full. In Him, we await an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. This is what it means to have Jesus as our priest. So ask yourself this morning, what is it that you think threatens your salvation? What is it that, that shakes your assurance? Is it the evil powers out there, whether, whether human or, or spiritual? Do, do you fear that, that those powers can, can somehow overwhelm God's intention for your good? Do you, do you wonder if, if, if God's plan has somehow been knocked off track by the, by the powers that are arrayed against you, by the things, the evils that you have had to endure? We, we know better in our mind, but do our not, hearts not often drift there? We wonder if God is really for our good, if these powers are arrayed against us. But when in Jesus, when we see Jesus as our priest, the priest who has made purification for sins and now sits at the right hand of the Father, we remember that our salvation is accomplished. It is now ready to be revealed, and it is being kept in heaven for us, even as we are being kept for it. We remember that there is no power, spiritual or, or human, in this cosmos that can undo God's purposes for our salvation because it is already finished. 
It is already accomplished. Or maybe it's not the powers out there that you fear. Maybe it's the power of indwelling sin that you still see in your own heart. Maybe your your fear is that these sins will finally condemn you. But again, those fears are, are put to rest when we look at Jesus. In him we see the one who has made purification for our sins. In him we we know that that our sins, while they are many, his grace is indeed more. We remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the record of debt has been paid in full. And so there is no evil out there. There is no evil within that that can undo God's purposes for our salvation because Jesus is our priest. This is what we we see when we look to him. And so Jesus is is first our our prophet. Yes, he he is the prophet who reveals to us God's will. And what he reveals to us is himself as our priest who offers himself as the ransom for our redemption. In him we have the forgiveness of our sins. A forgiveness that is perfect and complete. A a forgiveness that, that does not need to be repeated. But we see that he is not only our prophet and our priest here in this text, we see that he is thirdly also our king. We see this in the phrases, heir of all things and seated at the right hand of the majesty at high. Just just think about those phrases for a moment. What does it mean to say that he is the heir of all things? We we know what it is to be an heir. We know what it is to to have uh, something as our inheritance. And here uh, we are told that the entire cosmos, all things are Jesus' inheritance. They are his rightful possession. They are given to him. In other words, he is the Lord and King of all things. All of creation belongs to him and is under his rule. Now the author will later acknowledge that we do not yet see all things in submission to Christ. We do not yet see all all things uh, conformed perfectly to his will. We do not yet see the the full outworking of of his rule. But all things have been given to him. He is the heir of all things. The cosmos is his inheritance. And the day is coming when all things will be his by right and will be fully subdued to him. We see something similar in that phrase, seated at the right hand of the majesty at high. As I said earlier, the act of being seated, of taking a seat, that that signaled the, the perfect completion of his priestly work. But the fact that he now sits and, and remains seated at the right hand of the majesty at high, that is a picture of him in his reign as king. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, ruling over the cosmos. And when we begin to see Jesus as our king, it has profound implications for how we think about our salvation. As prophet, Jesus reveals to us God's will for our salvation. As priest, he he opens the way of that salvation. But as king, we can say that he is the substance of our salvation. We are saved to him. We are saved from sin, yes. We are saved from the guilt of our sin. We are saved from the, the power of our sin. But we are saved to him. We are saved by God and we are saved for God. So that being saved means becoming his servant. 
In Christ, we are now subjects of the one true king. In Christ, we now serve him. The, the faith that we, we pledge to Jesus is, is a fealty in some sense. It is, it is that fealty that, that people in the ancient world would pledge to their king, their, their, their right to live for him. When we receive and rest upon Jesus Christ as our king, that is what we are doing. We are pledging to our king our fealty. We are acknowledging that he is the rightful king. And we are bowing before him, pledging ourselves to honor him as who he is. Think of the way that Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 2. He says, just as you received Jesus Christ the Lord, just as you received him, now walk in him. That is the life of faith. Honoring Jesus as Lord, living for his glory, seeking first his kingdom. And that new life is the substance of our salvation. It's what we have been saved to. We have been saved from sin, but we have been saved to God. So when we believe in Jesus, we are receiving him not only as our Savior and Lord, but we are receiving him as our King. We are acknowledging that he is indeed the heir of all things and that we are indeed his subjects. And we are pledging ourselves to honor him as the king that he is. And what we need to understand in our day is that that is part of the good news. That is not what we do to pay God back because he's done so much for us, rescuing us from the, the power of sin. Well, you know, if he's, if he's rescued us now, we, we ought to, to honor him. No, we have been saved to honor him. And the life of, of service to our king is part of our salvation. It is part of the good news. It is, it is part of the gift that we have received in Jesus Christ. We have been saved to serve the king. You see, so many people today think that salvation would, should mean that, the, that we are saved now to, to do what is right in our own eyes. We are, we are saved to, to live our own life, to, to go our own way, to, to do our own thing. But we were never created to be our own king. We were never created to, to do our own thing. That is not life. That is not flourishing. The life for which we were created is a life of service. Human flourishing is found only in submission to our king. And we have been saved into such service. Think of the way that Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? We've been saved from, from the, the condemnation of the law. We've been saved from the, the wrath that is due to us from the law. Does that mean that we are now free to, to do whatever we want? He writes, by no means. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank God for the blessing of what? That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What you received from Jesus as prophet, what the way opened to you by the priest, you now walk in it as you submit to him as your King, in Christ we have become slaves of righteousness. And being a slave to righteousness is eternal life. Now don't misunderstand me. Being a slave to righteousness is not the way to obtain eternal life. It is the substance of eternal life. It is the life of the age to come. 
It's the life for which you were created. And it is the life to which you have been redeemed. That is why our catechism says that that Jesus subdues us to himself as our king. He, He subdues us to serve him. Because subduing us is our salvation. And that salvation is multiplied when we recognize that he subdues not only us, but he also subdues all our enemies. As our king, he he not only subdues us to himself, but but he subdues all of creation. He puts an end to to unrighteousness. He defeats all the the powers of of evil, spiritual and and human in this cosmos. He makes all things new. He, He puts all things right. And therefore, we can serve him without fear or reservation because we know that his kingdom is coming. It is not yet here, but it is coming. And it is a kingdom marked by justice and peace and joy. And to serve that kingdom, to seek first that kingdom, is the Christian life. This is the life to which we have been saved. Life in service to our King. So ask yourself, is this the life that you now live? Is this your faith? Have you received and rested upon Jesus Christ as your prophet who reveals to you God's will for your salvation? Have you received and rested upon him as your priest who accomplishes your salvation by making the purification for sins? Have you received and rested upon him as your king, as the one who subdues you to himself, that you may now live to the praise of his glory? For this is what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. As Sam was saying to the children, there is is no possibility of having him as your priest if he is not your prophet and king. There is no possibility of having him as your king if he is not your your priest and your, your prophet. You cannot divide Christ. He is prophet, priest, and king. And to receive and rest upon him is to receive and rest upon him in all that he is, in all of his offices. It is to receive and rest upon him as prophet, priest, and king. You must receive and rest upon him as he is offered to you in the gospel or not at all. And so if you have never received and rested upon him, then I would challenge you to do so even this morning. You know your need. You are a sinner justly condemned without hope except in his sovereign mercy. And his mercy has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one who speaks to you the way of salvation. He is the one who opens to you the way of salvation And he is the one who leads you in the way of salvation. And so if you have never received and rested upon him for that salvation, then do so even now. As as we're told in the scriptures, do not neglect such a great salvation. And it is a great salvation. It is a full salvation. It is a perfect salvation. For in him we have a prophet, a priest, and a king. In him we have everything we need to be reconciled to God and to live for him for all our days. And because we have this full salvation in him and in him alone, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that in Jesus Christ you have revealed to us the way of salvation. You have opened to us the way of salvation. 
And now you, you now lead us in the way of salvation. Father God, teach us to receive and rest upon Jesus Christ as he has offered to us in the gospel, we pray. In his name, and for his name's sake, amen.